This morning, we're going to continue on in this sermon series that we've been going through entitled Shape to Make a Difference. And we're going to take a, a look at the fourth element that really makes us us. And we're going to take a look at personality. In fact, the song, You've Got Personality, has been running through my mind pretty much all week just as a result of that. I'm not going to sing it for you. I did it at the first service, but I got mixed reviews, so we're just not going to go there. But I, I guess I just want to pause here for a second. It, my hope is, as we've been going through this series so far, is not only are you getting a greater sense of this unique person that God made you to be? I mean, just in the way you think, in the way you, you have certain abilities, in the way you have certain interests and passions. They will talk about personality, the way you're wired there. That you would see how you're a different creation than literally everybody else in this world. How he uniquely puts you here on this earth, and as such, why he loves you so much. Why he was willing to give up his son, Jesus, to die for you on the cross so that you could go to heaven with him. Because he wants to be in eternity forever with you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares about you. But he's also put you on this earth for the benefit of other people. And I know we live in a very me-centric society. And of course, when I say that, I don't mean you guys in this service. Is everybody else in the other services that struggle with the me-centric part. But, but the reality is we live in this me-centric society where everything has to do with us. Really, we get consumed with us. But, but one of the most healthy things that we can do in life is to invest ourselves in other people. It gives us a healthier perspective on which to live life. It, gives a, it does all sorts of good things to our emotions and to our mental frame and to dealing with depression. This whole idea of investing in somebody else to see ourselves as a blessing to the people around us instead of sometimes what it usually is, is a curse, right? So to be a blessing to those in the way that God has shaped us uniquely and put us on this earth. My prayer is that you start thinking that way just a little bit as we go through this. And it's not just getting plugged in in church someplace and having a ministry to do, but it's finding a ministry someplace in your community, in your neighborhood, in, in your family, finding that ministry someplace where you can give yourself away. All right, so this is called the great commandment in Mark 12, verse 30. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Guy comes to Jesus one day and he says, hey, Jesus, could you summarize the whole Bible for me in just like one or two phrases? And Jesus says, okay. And so he says, if you don't get this, it doesn't matter if you get anything else I say, I want you to get this. This is super, super important. And he answers this, this young man as he asks him this question. He says, the number one purpose of life is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Though there are purposes for your life, absolutely, but that's number one. That's the most important thing. God has not put you on this planet just to check off a whole bunch of things in your to-do box. He's put you on this planet to learn to love him, again, with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Those are all important components, as you might guess, by the fact I keep repeating them. So the question really becomes, how exactly do I do this, loving God in that way? Because that way seems to be pretty all-encompassing, doesn't it? It means that he's the number one thing in my life. If I love him in all those different ways, it means he's not second anywhere. As we look at our lives, often as we look at our checkbooks, as we look at our calendars, would people say that that's the number one thing in your checkbook and on your calendar? As you deal in relationships and as you interact with people in your family or in your neighborhood or at work, would people say that he's the number one driving force in your life by the way that you act? Hey, look, we're saint and sinner both. We grieve over the stuff that we do that's wrong and we seek to be better. We seek to follow him. We try to follow him and we fail. And so we go to God and we ask for forgiveness and he strengthens us up. He cleans us off. He forgives us and he sets us back out there. We are to love him in that way. And so 
let's take a look at what does this exactly mean? I think one of the ways, to, a cool way to look at this is through the lens of personality. And this is the great commandment. Again, notice that we're commanded to do all three, to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to do these things with all of our strength. But the reality is that every one of us here, while we kind of focus on one of those ways, maybe just a little bit more than we do the others. This is your God-given personality. God wants you to love him, to worship him, to serve him with all your personality, with all your strength, the way he wired you to do it. And so God doesn't want you to worship like somebody else, and he doesn't want you to serve like somebody else. He wants to do, you to do it with the personality and the strength that he's given to you. So in this way, too, God created you unique. But what's interesting is we all definitely favor one of these ways of loving our God a little bit more than we do the others. In other words, there are actually heart people, soul people, and mind people. What's the difference? That's what we're going to take a look at today, actually, as we go through those different words. Or perhaps another way to say this is this. Love God with all your talk and with all your feelings and with all your thinking. It's another way of saying the exact same thing. And yet God has shaped you primarily either to be a talker or a feeler or a thinker. And all of you are one of the three, or at least have a predisposition to one of the three. But no matter what combination of these that you are, God's wisdom is simply this. Be who God made you to be. That's part of the gift of this whole series is to help you see how incredible you are in his sight. So let's take a look at the first one. The first style, first personality is love God with all your heart, and that refers to talkers. Now, I can understand just at first glance why you don't see much of a connection here. So what is it? Well, the Bible says over and over, over and over, makes this direct connection between your heart and your mouth. And so what you have in your heart kind of illustrates itself by the words that you say. For instance, if I have a problem with cussing or swearing or profanity, that's not a problem with my mouth. It's a problem with my heart. If I tend to judge people and be critical and say sarcastic things that, again, is not a problem with my mouth, it's a problem with my heart. If I tend to exaggerate things and shade the truth, that's not, again, a problem with my mouth, it's a problem with my heart. If I tend to say things that I think people want me to say and not the things that I really, really, really need to say, again, it's not a problem with my mouth, it's a problem with my heart. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus is saying there's a direct connection between your mouth and your heart. Jesus says it like this. He says, the words that come out of your mouth come from your heart. There's a direct heart-mouth connection, and heart people can't help but speak. The psalmist writes this, my mouth shouts his praises because my heart is filled with joy. In other words, for talkers, right, whatever your heart is filled with is going to come out of your mouth eventually. If you're filled with anger, anger is going to come out of your mouth. If you're filled with loneliness, loneliness can't help but get its way out of your mouth. If your heart is filled with joy, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. There's a definite heart-mouth connection. So talkers are people who worship God with all their heart, and they tend to be very verbal as a result. Heart people have a real hard time being quiet. In fact, the Bible says this, I shouted the praise of God because my heart was filled and when your heart is filled and you are a heart person, you've got to let it out. It's hard to contain it. It's, I, sometimes I, I'll get my wife a, a gift for Christmas or for her birthday, and I get so jazzed about it that I start like layering hints all the way through, like months in advance. It's horrible. By the time she actually opens the gift, she's not surprised at all. I've completely ruined it, but I can't seem to keep it in. I don't know. Heart people love to tell stories. Talkers love to tell stories. 
They love to sit and converse, especially heart-to-heart conversations. And if you are a talker, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get your pleasure out of conversation. You enjoy it. Now, is there a downside to each one of these personalities? Absolutely. Talkers, for example, aren't very good at keeping secrets, as illustrated by the gifts I give to my wife. If it's in your heart, it's going to eventually come out. They're going to talk, and sometimes that can actually lead them to be a little bit of a gossip, which is always sinful and always counterproductive in every way. But it also can be used in a very helpful way, too. In Psalm 40, David says this, I have not kept this good news hidden in my heart. Instead, I have talked about it. I've talked about your faithfulness, your saving power. I have told literally everyone. It's a mark of a talker. They tell literally everyone. I've told everyone of your unfailing love and faithfulness. When I was in high school, senior year, one of my best friends died. He had a heart attack. And it was a very rare kind of thing, odd kind of thing. The only plus for him is he got out of doing the English term paper, which... I'm sure that's not why he died, you know, but the reality is it was very hard and very trying for so many of his friends and for the school at the time. Um, And it was especially trying for me because I knew my buddy wasn't a believer. I knew my buddy just went to hell. And so there's a, that was trying for me simply because of this, because there's a person in hell right now that can say, Mike, why didn't you ever tell me? Why didn't you ever try to tell me about Jesus? Tell me something that would have kept me from going here. Why? And that was so impactful on my life that I just vowed from that time on to never let any one of my other friends ever, ever end up in hell without me having tried to warn them somehow. If you're a talker, one of the things that should be on your heart is making sure that doesn't happen with anybody in your life. And now it's interesting. I share this with a culture, okay? Um, scripture says this, that, that wide is the road and, and wide is the gate that leads to the destruction, and many follow it, right? And, and narrow is the road and narrow is the gate that leads to salvation, and only a few find it. And so, in other words, most of the world, unbelieving world, they, they go to hell, right? What's interesting is I talk to people is that everybody who dies in their life goes to heaven. There's a little bit of a disconnect, isn't there? And I don't know, sometimes it's rationalization, sometimes it's wishful thinking, sometimes it's hopeful, sometimes it's based on the fact that they're believers, But have you ever been to a funeral and you just know they're in heaven without a shadow of a doubt? Feels good, doesn't it? Have you ever been in a funeral and you're like, I hope he made it? It's an icky feeling, isn't it? And so my prayer is if you have anybody in your life, anybody in your life that you're unsure about, start praying for them today and don't let a day go by where you don't share with them about the hope that Jesus gives. So share with them a way to avoid hell. Share with them a way to get to heaven. So what's the first purpose of this first personality? The purpose of talkers is that this world needs communication. I use the illustration sometimes in Bible class when we don't say anything. It's like we're we're waving them and wishing them a good trip as they're sailing off on the Titanic. We know where they're going, but we don't want to get involved. Hey, they look so happy on the boat. Let's just keep waving that dumb smile and hope that everything goes well. We need communicators. We need people who can lead discussions, who who can verbalize what the rest of us are feeling, what God's truth actually says. We need teachers and counselors. We need coaches that can teach us and direct us. We need comedians and preachers. We need all these kinds of people who kind of build their lives on verbal skills, who are able to move this world forward and forward toward Jesus. So if you're talking about one-third of you as this personality, if studies are right, 
that I would encourage you to use your personality for good. That you'd use this ability to talk in a positive way. That you'd use your ability to talk to share with people about Jesus. It's another personality. The second kind is what I call feelers. And feelers are those who love God with all their souls. What does that mean? The word soul in the Bible is used in a lot of different ways. But, the most, but most of the time, it's used as a synonym for uh, emotions. In fact, the reason you have emotions is because God made you in his image. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, God is an emotional God. It says all kinds of things about who God is. God has feelings. God gets angry. God gets happy. God gets sad. God gets jealous. The reason you have emotions is that you're made in his image. And so he gave you the ability to have emotions. And so most of the time in scripture, soul means emotions. And in the book of Psalms, which by the way, if you're a, a soul kind of oriented person, is probably one of your favorite books of the Bible because in the book of Psalms, almost every emotion known to man is written in its pages. The Bible talks about a downcast soul, a disturbed soul, a satisfied soul, a yearning soul, and a troubled soul. It talks about a forlorn soul, and a joyful soul, a bitter soul, and a thirsty soul. It talks about a hungry soul, a rejoicing soul, a delighted soul, a longing soul. Can you hear the passion in those words? Soul people feel their emotions. They're very in touch with their emotions. Now, why in the world do we need feelers in this world, some of you ask? It's because we need more than communication. We need compassion. The purpose of God putting feelers in this world is because God is a compassionate God. And these people represent that part of God's personality. We need people in the world that deeply care, deeply care about God, deeply care about other people and helping other people, people who can empathize, people who can sympathize with the world's struggles, with people's issues and needs and hurts, with their pain, the problems of others. And a feeler is a people person. In fact, they're the best people people of all, to be honest because everybody likes them. You go to a talker and you say, man, I'm having a bad day, and they'll give you like an hour of counseling, okay? And you go to a thinker and you say, I'm having a bad day, and they'll analyze you left ways and right ways and all sorts of ways. But you go to a, a person that is a thing, or a, to a, a person who is a soul feeler or a feeler, they'll go, man, I get it. I've been where you are. I understand what you're feeling, and it's hard. Let's pray, man. Let's, let's hang out. Let's just be. And we like feelers because we feel understood by them. We go, finally, somebody in this world actually gets how I feel at this moment. Now, the Bible says to all of us that we are to love God in all three of these ways, but clearly, some of us are better at this one than others. Now, are there weaknesses with this personality? Absolutely. Just as talkers can overtalk and be a bit of a gossip, Feelers will be more tempted by their feelings than the rest of us. They'll be more tempted by their emotions than the rest of us. If you're a feeler, you have a tendency to be manipulated by your moods. You will tend to say, I want to do this because I feel like it, or I don't want to do this because I don't feel like it. But the problem with that is that feelings sometimes lie. So the warning to feelers is this. You must let God lead you in your feelings. The Bible says in Galatians 5.15, don't be led by your emotions, but let, be led by the Spirit. Let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy. In other words, you won't give into the desires and lusts of the human nature. And we all have desires. It just doesn't make all desires good, right? There's a lot of bad desires There's, in addition to good desires. Not every desire that you have, though, is a good one. But especially for feelers, you will tend to give into those desires unless you let the Spirit of God and His truth lead your life. 
You either be controlled by your feelings or you'll be controlled by God's spirit. And so this is important. When you say, I let God's spirit lead me, it doesn't mean that you don't have feelings. It just means that you don't obey the wrong ones. It just means that you don't give in to them. That you're continually, as you feel all the different things that God has put into you, the compassion, the empathy, all those different things, that you're led by his truth. And then there's a third personality, too, and we'll call them the thinkers. Talkers love God with all their heart, and feelers love God with all their souls, and thinkers love God with all their minds. And so did you know that you can love God with your intellect? Did you know that when you're doing intellectual activities, it's actually bringing praise to God? Did you know that when you come to faith in Jesus, he doesn't ask you to put your mind at the door, right, and come follow him? He says, no, I want you to use your mind, your brain. I want you to use your intellect. The Bible says, love God with all your mind. And when you're developing your mind and strengthening your mind and educating your mind, it's actually an act of worship. You're doing something with what God gave you to do and how you were wired to proceed. For example, in our world today, there's a biblical worldview. And Christianity is a worldview. The biblical worldview that is in the Bible is the only logical, rational worldview that squares with reality today. I don't know if you've studied the other nine major worldviews of life. I have. I've studied them intensely. Every other worldview that's not based on a biblical worldview, though, is, ends up in fatalism. And what I mean by that, it just means that ultimately nothing matters. There is no meaning in life if there is no God. Sometimes they try to create meaning, but there really isn't. There is also no morality in life without God. You cannot have a moral society unless you have a moral God, because who gets to determine what is right and what is wrong? Otherwise, we're just animals. And if there is no God, then you're an accident, and your life doesn't really matter. If there is no God, then, you're, then life has no purpose. It also has no meaning. You're a freak accident. You're simply an animal in the survival of the fittest. If I come over and I kill you and I take your stuff, it's just survival of the fittest. There is no basis for morality in a society if there is no God. The logical, rational, intelligent, systematically lining up with reality is the worldview that God gives us in his word. So God says, I want you to use your mind. If it's not based on the truth, then it's based on a lie and there's flaws to it. Use your mind so that you can see the flaws of our worldviews that aren't based on God's truth. Again, are there any weaknesses to this personality? Absolutely. Just like there are weaknesses to talkers and weaknesses to feelers, there is one major weakness to thinkers as well, and that is pride. So the Bible gives us this warning to thinkers. It says, practice humility. The Bible says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Why? Because God is God and you are you, and God is way smarter than you are, way wiser than you are. Also, humility is a choice. And please hear me say this. Don't ever pray that God would give you humility. Number one, it's not in the Bible. Not once in the Bible does God ever request us to ask us to pray that prayer. It's just foolish. It just means your life will get a lot harder. Why would you pray that? But it does say this in the Bible. Humble yourself before the Lord. In other words, it's a choice. Humility is something you do to yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. They can humiliate you, but they cannot make you humble. So you start asking, well, what exactly is humility then? Humility is a total dependence upon God. 
God, I'm depending on you. I'm trusting you in this moment. I'm using my mind to trust even with the gifts and the talents and the abilities you've given me. I'm trusting you with the things that you've told me. I'm trusting you with the things that I cannot control. I'm trusting you with the things that I don't understand. It's not a denying of your strengths. It's just an acknowledgement of your weaknesses. And loving God with all your mind means trusting his truths and trusting his promises and trusting that the gift is real when he says you are forgiven because of Jesus. Thinkers do this, and when they do, they love God with all their mind. In the end, whatever combination of these you happen to be, know that God gave them to you, this personality, so that you could be uniquely you, so that you could become the person he's created you to be. But he gives you all these gifts, your personality, your heart, your spiritual giftedness, the abilities, because he wants to empower you to be all that he created you from the start. Why would he do that? So that others might see your actions and hear your words of truth, experience your compassion, and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's why he gives them to you, for others. You say, well, why is that so important? Answer, so that they can go to heaven too. So that they can experience the forgiveness and the freedom and the love of God in a uniquely powerful way too. And because ultimately, God's purpose for your life is to do this very thing. Two, guys, God loves you so much. I hope you can hear that in the midst of going through these things about how God has created you. But he's created you for a purpose. And I want you to start living that purpose, to be the person God's created you to be. And that maybe starts at the home and sharing with your kids or with your family or whoever. Maybe it's going to work and sharing with one of your coworkers about Jesus or inviting them to the Easter service, which is coming up, or whatever. Maybe it's getting involved in church and pursuing some God-created heart that you have for some ministry here. Hey, we're looking still for more people for the Children's Task Force. Love you guys to join that, right? But start being the person God has created you to be. Stop being so self-centric. Not you guys again, everybody else. But stop being so self-centric and put God actually first so that this could be true of you. That you're loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. And as, again, as we go through this series, Lord, we thank you for this person that you created us to be. My prayer, especially in the midst of this, Lord, is that we would see how powerfully and how much time you put into creating each and every one of us, how much thought you pre-put into us to make us us. Father, that that would give us a confidence as we go through life that we wouldn't have to be insecure of who we are, but actually proud of who we are because you made us to be this way, that we'd have a God confidence going into situations instead of an insecurity. And then, Father, I pray that you'd shift our perspective just a bit and that you would see that we are put on this purpose for other people. I think we see that with our kids. They totally depend upon us. Sometimes we can see it with family. They rely on us in different ways. But, Father, you've put the people in our lives there for a reason so that we can share with them Jesus, so that we can sympathize and empathize with their hurts, so that we can communicate the way to heaven, so that we can share with them, Lord, just how amazing they are too and the way you created them to be too. Father, give us this heart. And that's our prayer today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.